Hello, you're listening to The Hashtag, a new podcast by The Kigadian, with me, Kwabigui, one of the magazine's editors. In our very first episode, I speak with Rizael Bime, a young Rwandan pharmacist who's just completed his mandate as the president of IPSF, the International Pharmaceutical Students Federation. We spoke about pharmacy and healthcare, youth and leadership, and the future. Israel, welcome to the hashtag. Thank you for having me. So you've been a strong advocate for pharmacy in the past few years, and I've been trying to understand uh, what you've been up to, and I want to ask you why should we care about pharmacists? These are, it seems, people who only sell drugs. Yeah, I think you are right. The assumption is that pharmacists are people who only sell drugs, but but in fact. Uh, pharmacists are in charge of the process and everything that happens from when the drug has to be discovered to when the drug has to you know be manufactured be used by the patient and what it does in the body and what it does after it has acted in the body so that whole process of healing using a drug is the business of a pharmacist instead of just selling it so um, I, I want to develop the understanding of mm-hmm. you know what the pharmacy profession is and building capacity for pharmacy professionals to also walk beyond the current limits of only selling drugs if i can say so you started as a student at the university of rwanda right yes and you went on to become uh, the leader of the association of pharmaceutical students mm-hmm. tell me how that happened well, um, it started, you know, being um, an activist at the university where you find the needs and try to find the solutions. And, and with that, you, you know, you try to find the platforms and the right platforms where you can be an agent of change. Um, that's how it started, either through uh, personal initiatives. Then I got into the Association of Pharmacy Students in Rwanda, where I was in charge of uh, student exchange programs. Mm-hmm. And then I moved into the president's position. Um, I started also being very active um, regionally and internationally uh, and become elected as regional relations officer in Africa, then chairperson of the African regional office, um, at the same time vice president of the federation internationally. And uh, last year in August, I was elected president. Last year in August, that's 2016. Yes. Okay. So you spent a whole year leading the IPSF, which is the International Pharmaceutical Students Federation. Yes. This is an organization that leads up to 350,000 students from 80 countries from across the world. Can you give me a sense of the work you've been doing? Just to set the record straight, um, 350,000 are adhering members, but we have more than 2 million pharmacy students for whom we believe we advocate for and speak for. Wow. Um, so it, it has been uh, intense. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing experience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I led a team of 18, the executive committee from 18 different countries. And uh, a bigger team under each executive committee, we have coordinators and mm-hmm. committees, which is up to 150 uh, members. So that, that's the whole team that we had to work together. We have four main projects or portfolios, if I can say, mm. um, professional development, um, public health, and pharmacy education, and our flagship program, which is the student exchange program. And mm. then we have supporting offices like the internal 
relation, external relations mm. and the general secretary. But is there, how, much, how much impact really does this kind of organization that is led by students, young students, mm-hmm. have on the global you know, health system? Because when I look at the World Health Organization, for mm-hmm. example, this is a well-structured organization, looks very rigid on how they do their things. So how much impact do you... Well, yeah, so the World Health Organization doesn't work in a silo. They, they have to collaborate with other organizations. Mm-hmm. And our federation is one of the only two organizations representing students. That mm-hmm. means future health professionals. And with that, whatever the World Health Organization does, in order to make sure they have the right checks and balances, they allow uh, non-state actors, means those who are not member states of the, org- the health organization, which mm-hmm. are pri- uh, the organization like ours, to, to inputs into their work and to get to participate in whatever they develop, whether it affects the profession or whether it engages the profession in any ways. So our impact comes in when we make sure that our voice mm-hmm. uh, and our role as pharmacists and future pharmacists is well represented, mm-hmm. well taken care of and well accounted for in whatever the WHO has to do. So what, wherever drugs, uh, wherever medicines, wherever issues affecting young people mm-hmm. are discussed at that level, we make sure that our voice is there and we make sure that our contribution is well made. Okay. So when you sit with these, these very influential people from your partner organizations, mm-hmm. do you get to sit together and discuss like deeply or small photo opportunities and do they listen to you? Uh, that that's actually one of the challenges that I probably have met. Um, first of all, when you get to sit on these tables, uh, there is a general assumption that you are young mm-hmm. students and confused, so you don't understand what's going on there. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my solutions or what I had to do or what I believe we should all do is creating value so that mm-hmm. whenever you come to that table, you have enough substance and content to be able to be convincing enough to be allowed to remain on that table or your ideas to come across. Mm-hmm. And and we try as much to not make it a photo opportunity so as to not be disregarded as one of, you know, the other young people who just come for that. Mm-hmm. So um, there are instances where, you know, you are completely ignored because of how people think who should be on that table. Mm-hmm. But there are instances where whenever you get a chance and you, you are relevant enough for that table, you, you are respected, um, equally respected like anyone else on that table. And, and it's something that is demonstrated through um, the different technical committees and working groups that we participated in during my term. Mm-hmm. Did you get a feeling that most of the youth that you worked with were aware of what they are doing or they had enough knowledge about the fields or anything they were working on? No, not so much. I think people are more pushed by their passion to be engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing experience. The, you get to meet people from all countries, over 90 countries to work mm-hmm. with them. So there is that sense of feeling that you are not focused on home, but you are open up to the world. However, it's, it's quite hard to grasp everything that is being done and it's happening. And then it's a one year term. So that means it's a lot of information coming in in a short span. Uh, and, and by the time you get to master and understand, sometimes your time is up and, and someone decides to take over. So uh, those are quite challenges. However, people are more passionate about what they do, but it's it's quite hard to get to understand what's happening and you know why is it happening and who, who does what. Okay. 
so your international exposure, if I'm not wrong, started mm-hmm. back in 2014 when you traveled in Zimbabwe. Yes. Tell me about that. Um, well, I, I had um, I had gone to Zimbabwe for the African Pharmaceutical Symposium, so basically my first international uh, experience, and and uh, I was supported by the university because previously I had hosted the first ever public lecture series uh, at the School of Medicine in an initiative called Med Inspire that I had started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and my deans felt that it was important for me to get um, an exposure internationally, and they supported me to go to Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. And and I was pretty mind blown first by Zimbabweans themselves, by Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. the country. It was your first time? Yes, it was my okay. first time in Zimbabwe. Um, and, you know, we always hear about how Zimbabwe is the most educated country in Africa. It's very something you see right away as soon as you land in the country. Everyone mm-hmm. is really sharp and on top of their game. Mm. So, yeah, how, how did you get elected? What did you do? What? Well, um, it's pretty tough. Usually, I, I kind of beat all odds. That, that's when you became the vice president, right? In, no, no. In Zimbabwe, I became only regional relation officer uh-huh. um, um, on on a local. It was still an African level position. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I still needed to understand what happens in the federation and how mm. it operates. So I, I actually got elected as chairperson um, in in a conference we had hosted here in Rwanda. Um, and, and only got confirmed in India, and then vice president was that um, in 2015 in September in in Holland. Um, so it it basically comes out when when you know what needs to be done, and you are able to prove that you have the capacity um, more than all other candidates. You know. Okay, so six months ago, you wrote a blog about um, you were pretty much urging. Uh, students to be engaged in in the WHO regional office and their program of of the transformation agenda. What what are you trying to to communicate to your to your peers and 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 these organizations that are into health? Well, I I try well, as much as I was leading the the world federation like representing the whole world I I try very much to focus on African students um, because there is so little so 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 little of our inputs in you know global governments in global health mm-hmm. and when we hosted the Africa Health Forum uh, which was the first time that the WHO organizes it and they opened it up to young people. They said, you know, it's free to attend. Just make sure you make your way to Rwanda and we will cater for you the food and everything. I, I, I said, look, take an opportunity to not only make it a photo opportunity and to not only sound cool by attending an event at the Kigali Convention Center, but get to know what's being done and get to understand what could be your role. Because um, Africa remains or lags behind significantly uh, due to the lack of you know, informed uh, policymakers in into healthcare, mm. um, and we are a lot brain drained. So uh, people, if they go abroad, they don't come back. So it's important that the current policymakers that are doing things have sufficient enough backup and have a lot of innovations and new ideas that are pushing for new things to be done. And that's the only way we could change um, the healthcare in Africa. Otherwise, we will always be waiting for some other people to care enough to do it for us. You, you've also written about this um, concept of uh, community pharmacists. Yeah. 
Can you tell me a bit about it? Well, it's because I believe, um, you know, we were talking earlier about community pharmacists being people who only sell drugs, but I think mm-hmm. uh, they can do much more than that. Um, and, you know, our healthcare system should be designed in a way that everyone who is into healthcare should make a contribution. There is so much burden on the health, uh, the Ministry of Health or the Rwanda Biomedical Center on, on certain programs like vaccination mm-hmm. or health campaigns, public health campaigns, and so many more. So I was saying, look, you have this whole workforce or this whole area or sector that is ready to be supportive, that is not being used. Mm-hmm. And it's important to establish those kind of links and partnerships so that uh, the Ministry of RBC doesn't centralize everything on them, but they can push other professionals to be able to do that. So how do you do that? Well, we, we try. Um, as I said, the students' organization used to, you know, work with RBC to organize like diabetes, anti-diabetes campaign mm-hmm. uh, countrywide. You know, that's a burden taken off of RBC, and you do it. It's a voluntary. They 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 would only sponsor basic materials that you would need, and we did a tuberculosis campaign in prisons. Uh, we did the campaign against skin bleaching and so on. So, my thoughts are. If students could do that, then it's important to engage professionals for mm-hmm. a large-scale impact. Okay. So, if you look at the healthcare here in Rwanda, yeah. the public healthcare system, I know there's been a lot of um, progress, yeah. especially in, when you look at the Mituel, the Sante program. We built more hospitals probably in every district now. Mm-hmm. How far have we gone when you look at it and comparing to, to other countries and looking at our vision as a country? Um, how far do you think we've been? Um, I, I, well, at least compared to, to African countries, we are far ahead. Um, we achieved all health-related uh, mm-hmm. Millennium Development Goals and pretty much doing well when it comes to the Sustainable Development Goal number three, which is on healthcare. But um, we remain way far behind compared to developed countries or middle-income countries. Um, I think we've done all the basics right. Mm -hmm. So we have an amazing community health workers program. We have health facilities. We at least try to make sure each Rwandan is within 30 to 40 minutes um, of healthcare facility. However, we are not fast enough to respond to how the challenges are growing, mm-hmm. um, especially the fact that we still have infectious diseases burden mm-hmm. that we are not yet been able to deal with. They haven't been able to eradicate malaria and other diseases like that. And now we have uh, non-communicable diseases coming at a really fast pace, um, mm-hmm. heart diseases, uh, cancers, and so on. So I think it's important that at this level we now strengthen our health system to be able to address all those multiple challenges at the same time. But we don't have enough health workers for that. We don't have enough capacity and our hospitals are not sophisticated enough to be able to address all those challenges. Mm. Um, And they are growing quite fast. So that's important that we we are able to address all those. So let's talk about the individual motoraje, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And the issue of health literacy because when I look at the, most of them, even even us who live in the cities, I don't get a sense of 
you know health awareness like how much do we understand how the health system works so what do you think do you think we are educated enough in terms of <laughs> yeah the funny part is the people in the cities are less educated about health than the people in the villages oh really yes what do you mean because in the villages we have the community health workers who are trained regularly to mm. communicate this information to the muturages mm. in in the village but in the city there is a sense that somehow people are educated enough to know everything mm. which they don't or there is a lot of conspiracy and people are, think they are very smart so they mm. don't want to listen to the basics of healthcare uh, basic information about how to protect their teeth or eyes or things like that mm. so they they feel like they know enough and and hence there is not so much effort put into that so otherwise uh, that that this is probably an area where people like the students you've been working with could probably um help right and, and the community pharmacies as mm-hmm. i said you know when you walk into a pharmacy every morning to buy your toothbrush or uh, your toothpaste or you know your painkiller it's it's important that the pharmacist recognize that there is some information that you probably should know uh you know if we have monthly theme of things to educate our patients on and and things like that just as much as community health workers do in villages when it comes to you know uh, contraceptive cancers uh, you know mouth care and so on this episode is sponsored by go connect a product of go limited with packages for small businesses including the rw domain name registration web design and development and social media management Visit www.go.rw to learn about how GoConnect helps SMEs create and manage their online identity. Welcome back, Israel. Thank you. I want to go back in 2013. Yes. When you wrote a blog about the AU, at the time the African Union organization was celebrating 50 years, mm-hmm. and you wrote quite a skeptical, if not very skeptical, <laughs> article about the AU where you wrote the African Union has largely failed to resolve crises and you also said we really don't have much to celebrate and then the 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 following year you sat on a panel with um uh, Madam Zuma yes who was the chairperson of the the African Union Commission with obviously the Minister of, of Foreign Affairs our Minister of Foreign Affairs Madam Ruiz how did it feel um well i i still believe that the African Union is is a complete failure up until now i i i don't know i i really think that the organization has failed to stand for what it should stand for mm-hmm. and uh, Well being on that panel last year um, although it was really focused on mobility and trade in Africa um, I I wanted to make it a point that you know there are simple solutions that the African Union can push that mm. we young people uh, citizens of African countries expect from them that they are not doing fast enough or mm. effectively enough um, and and it, you know it, it was a big challenge so you were obviously sitting on the same panel yep with the person who leads an organization you think has failed and did you get a sense of um the amount of uh, work that they do 
or how much they feel about what they do? I, I think yes. I, I also believe, even if I believe that they have failed on their mission, I I could have a, maybe a different opinion if I stand in their shoes on what are their challenges and what they have to navigate and go through. Mm. Um, but I also believe that it's in their mandate to make sure things are, are right and, and how they do it. So, yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you about how you self-educate as a young leader. <laughs> Because when you look at the amount of information and knowledge that is out there in the cloud or in books and everywhere, it's so much that it's actually very hard to navigate into. What is your secret to self-educate? Because obviously, knowing you 10 years ago, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it, but tell me what, what has been the key things that you invested in to become who you've become? Well, um, so first of all, I want to briefly talk about the motivation factor. When I started being engaged on an international level, um, I remember my first trip to Geneva at the World Health Assembly in 2015. Mm. Um, I, I really had this big dream in my mind of, you know, one day leading the World Health Organization or something similar. Mm. And as I reached there, I looked at the young people who are my age, who are attending the same event, and I saw how far ahead they were in how much they know and how much they do. And, and uh, they were even much more privileged to be attending the best schools in the world and living in, you know, the best cities um, to access such information. So I said, look, I don't have a choice. Either I give up or I, I do three, four, five times the efforts that they spend in acquiring knowledge. I have to spend the same so that I'd be able to still compete on, on this same stage. And, you know, lucky enough, one year later I was elected president beating some of those I had met there. My, my general idea is um, make sure I, I acquire knowledge, mm. I acquire new information, not necessarily calling it knowledge, new information about anything mm. uh, along the day. I, I, there has not to be a time where I feel like I'm numb or not doing anything. So I have to be reading an article, a story, um, listening to a podcast. Mm. I read books. Um, I just make sure I, I learn as much as I can. I talk to people mm. and, and so on. I subscribe to a lot of mailing lists. I have more than 50 mailing lists to which I'm subscribed. Those send emails every day or every week where I just get to acquire a lot more, most especially in healthcare. But I, I am broad. I, I listen. I learn about cryptocurrency, about technology, about healthcare, about politics, about, you know, So you're very Not open to learning I'm, about different, different different things, you know, okay. economics. So like I'm, I've been a fan of behavioral economics for quite a while now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So do, do, do you think that young people's voice or voices, if I may put it that way, yeah. uh, seriously heard by this older generation of, of leaders? Do you think? Um, Well, I, I don't. I, I feel like there is first this intergenerational conflict. Mm -hmm. um, the older generations think that there is a way we have to think. Mm -hmm. You know, um, while young people are faced with a world that, 
you know, impose them a different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that creates, you know, an expectation versus reality type of situation where there is a slight misunderstanding. But I believe that there are those who could understand, but generally I, I don't think they really understand how young people think at this point. But it's just that it's important to get to navigate it um, and get to work with us uh, in, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. But it's also something that young people have to know and understand, especially those of us who you know, were involved in some form of activism or advocacy, where you, you have to make sure you get your point across. I, I know writing statements for the WHO, I probably had my own way of writing a sentence, but because of my audience, I, I get to change it, to put it in a way that they understand it. So there is that way of being flexible on how you either think or act mm. to really make sure you somehow come on a common ground and common understanding of things, mm. although uh, the deep understanding of it is quite different from the two generations. Mm. So what do you think is the most effective way to you know, share or express our opinions, views on you know, these matters of policy, leadership, anything? Um, well, it's, it's a principle which is like seek first to understand before being understood. I, I think we, everyone always wants to fight to get their point across, but mm. you also need to understand um, what are the thoughts pattern of the person on the other side of the table. Mm. Um, and and uh, I, I also feel like young people have um, a lot of illusions, of things going on. You know, it's, it's a fact that all the generations have the experiences on how certain things were built or how certain things evolved. Uh, but young people bring this, you know, aspect of revolution of how things must change now which is quite different and, and hard to grasp or so unrealistic when the, the older generation has to listen to it. So it's important to, as often as possible, to mm-hmm. get the conversation going. I, I think it's a continuous conversation and much less an occasional one where, you know, it, it's sparked by an event or something happening or a trend, but it has to be really continuous where you, you know, the older generation get to understand what's going on on that side of the table as the young people as well get to understand what has been mm-hmm. going on in the past. Um, and yeah. What kind of young people do you admire or any types, are there any types of traits in young people that you admire? Um, I think it's you just need to be knowledgeable and and anyone who challenges my thoughts uh, to to think deeper to know more are the people that I admire really um, as as long as you you really challenge my thoughts and are very knowledgeable irregardless of the industry or the sector that uh, anyone might be in so Israel you grew up in the city of Butare yes which is now um queer district right yeah um I know it used to be a very vibrant city. Mm-hmm. That was back then when you had NUR and a very large group of students, university students over there. Yeah. Different institutions were working from there. It was really, you know, a vibrant, vibrant city. Yeah. And I know your family still lives there. Yes. You probably travel there like every month. Tell me how it feels now or 
what you think about the current situation <laughs> <laughs> and how it feels because you grew in this city and then now it looks like it, it's changed. So tell me how it, uh, how it feels. Oh yeah, um, it's pretty sad. So I, I grew in the city when it was um, a highly intellectual type of city. Um, we had a, a children's library mm-hmm. where my, my parents took me to hang out and, and that's where I got started with books and, and learning and self, you know, educating on a lot of issues, um, which is now closed. And uh, I don't remember the last time I checked, it, it was still closed. There is nothing going so on it's there. It's a public library. It was a university, university oh. uh, children library. So it's pretty much was public, but you know, by managed by wrong. the university. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and and a lot more. The the university used to be an, an environment, you know, where mm. very intellectual type of city. But today. Uh, the change that have been happening, um, they're kind of, you know, depleted every, everything there. But it, it has this particularity that, you know, it's it's a city that has always been like that. Every four years it changes mm. as, as a generation comes to start the school and then they leave, then there are new people and then they leave and, and, and all that. However, it has been hit um, a lot by, you know, the need of economically growing and not so much depending on mm. the university itself. So... You know, and and the fact that education, uh, tertiary education, has been centralized in the capital, uh, makes it really hit hard. However, it's, it's it remains a good place to go. It's very calm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can walk from one end to another in in less than two hours. Uh, you know, it's good air. It's really cold, and and it's a nice place to relax and get to read the book. Or you know, and and we have the best ice cream in the country there. So. <laughs> Yeah, Tinzozi, right? Yes. Okay. So when you talk to people there, what do they think about the the changes and how are they coping up with with the, the reforms and you know, the new? It 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 seems to me last time when, uh, when I was there, it almost seemed like a dead city. To be honest, mm-hmm. I I couldn't even begin to imagine what you know the 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 local people were thinking of the situation. But what's going on in their minds? Um, well, I mean, a lot of people move out of that city and, mm-hmm. and the people who are there haven't been there for as long as my parents have been there. So um, I think it's they can't do anything about it, but uh, they really get sad about the fact that how, how much it's changing, so what, how much it's losing its you know intellectual value that it used to have with um, institutions like the former ERSTA, ISAR and NUR. Uh, which are no longer there. Um, so that means the whole intellectual capital has left the city and moved to the capital. So, so I want to believe there's hope, obviously. Mm-hmm. But what's bringing hope? Can you give me any type of hope? No, I, any? I, I don't think there is hope that it would return back to its original state, how it was you know, mm. 10, 15 years ago. But it's more of that the fact that it's changing into a different identity or a different type of city. It mm-hmm. will remain a city with a lot of um, learning institution, mm-hmm. a lot of cultural values for the country. Uh, but, you know, the city has to change its mm-hmm. dynamics uh, to, to be, you know, to catch up with other cities that are fastly developing in the country. However, that fact of its particularity of being, you know, the intellectual base of the country is is lost for good I, I i believe and it's it's quite sad do we have the necessary local leadership 
I'm talking about the mayor or yeah. other local leaders over there. Do you think they have the necess- what it takes? Yeah, they do. Um, they, they do. I mean, it's. I think it's a lot that goes into it. You know, you you just don't start industrializing or developing a city out of nowhere. It comes with investments. It comes with, uh, you know, lucrativity in, in in terms of how much money one can make there. So I believe the leadership is is quite good, and we have been in the top three, top five of uh, the national Mexico. So. Um, we are doing good. So early this month, you started working with Zipline, the drone technology company mm-hmm. that started over a year ago here in Rwanda. And you're now part of the national implementation team. Can you give me a sense of the work that you've been doing there in the last few weeks and how far Zipline has gone so far? Yes. Um, so Zipline is a, basically a logistics company um, which uses drones uh, and manned air vehicles to deliver blood, among other medical products, to um, last mile patients or Mm. health facilities. So um, it has been a little over a year since the plant started operating in Rwanda, and they are now uh, delivering blood to 12 health facilities, districts and district hospitals and and health centers. And uh, it has seen a great impact on who gets access to blood and uh, how it reduces, uh, you know, death or complications that were usually arising from the, the, the need to have blood transfused but not having access to it as fast as it, it needed to be. Mm. Um, so I, I joined Zipline and, and the national implementation team and we are currently working on uh, uh, expanding um, our services here in Rwanda, mm. uh, opening a second distribution center and delivering to more health facilities, as well as uh, including new products in the near future, and and making sure our relations with medical doctors, uh, laboratory technicians, and nurses, and other health professionals who are involved in in the services that we provide, mm. as well as the government, um, remain satisfied of our services. Mm. Yeah. So when you look at the work that. Zipline, for example, has been doing or what's happening in our health care system. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of initiatives and and when you look at, for example, the efforts that been put in Mituel de Sante, for example, or even um, building, you know, the whole ecosystem. Yeah. How do you visualize the future of, of, of health here in Rwanda? Oh, yeah. I think at least Zipline and, and other actors are a great example of what needs to be done, especially mm-hmm. in making sure we involve other actors in mm-hmm. providing care through public-private partnerships mm-hmm. um, and making sure we have the solutions that you know address our challenges uh, and understanding the capacity to do this. It's not in many countries that they would understand how a drone company would deliver, you know, blood. It, it applies to other companies like Babylon or mm-hmm. Kasha and others who are in the healthcare industry doing, you know, innovative things. So I, I believe in the future, if we manage to build this ecosystem where these partnerships are acknowledged and these partnerships are given a bit more interest and power, they could solve a lot of issues and mm-hmm. our healthcare system will definitely be built for the best. Mm-hmm. 
I know you're interested in this thing called blockchain technology, mm-hmm. and you've been following pretty much what's what's happening in the world of technology. Yeah. Um, how much do you think it's going to impact um, our lives here in, 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 in poor countries and, and the healthcare system? Because when I look at the blockchain, as, as you talk about it and how people apply it in healthcare, when I look at this gene editing technology, yeah. that's probably going to be reaching us in the next five, or well, I don't know how many years. Mm-hmm. How much do you think it's going to change, you know, our lives in terms of uh, reducing death? Um, significantly, it will. Um, blockchain, for example, would be used in, in data. Um, and one of the biggest challenge about healthcare, either in Rwanda or across Africa, is data. Knowing how many have this, how many each health issues has affected, which type of health issues do we have? We are doing extremely bad at collecting and keeping the data about healthcare in general um, here in Rwanda. So the technology that is blockchain could easily allow us to, you know, store the data and use the data like patient records and so on across health facilities and, and pharmacies and, and quickly. I, I don't think we will get to start where other countries started. We, If we have to get into it, we will, we will use the latest technology, which is blockchain. When it comes to gene editing, it can be scary to a lot of people. However, it, it could help us, you know, cut the disease from the, the root cause, which is mm. the gene, things like cancers. Uh, diabetes type 1 and other hereditary diseases that, that you know, occur at the gene level. So it, it could help us a lot in, in so many ways um, without disregarding the dangers that also it has in creating, you know, humans that could destroy many more things. Have you met any local researchers that are doing great work? Yeah, I, I have. But um, I, I believe the work is more superficial, if I can say, mm-hmm. on Although it addresses immediately what we need now, like mm. basic information on certain issues, we we do not yet have, you know, people who go dig deep into the science of, you know, our genes, for example. Or looking into the future. Looking into the future. Mm. It's more of just getting to understand the current existing phenomena that would be solved if we had a, a solid uh, data collecting, uh, you know, system for patients and, and diseases in the country. So I know you're an avid reader. Mm-hmm. What what kind of books are you reading now? Um, I'm I'm reading quite you know varied type of books, mm-hmm. um, memoirs, biographies, and and business and you know other books. Um, a book that is you know kind of on my mind and has been helping me for the for the recent days. It, it's called Switch. How what is it about? How to change things when change is hard. It's um, it's about navigating one's character, mm-hmm. one's emotions. It's it's on a personal level. It's about a company. It's in an industry, in a mm-hmm. sector. Um, on what needs, how do you go about changing things? It's a, it's a gift that I received from the CEO of the American Pharmacist Association, and he intended to give it to me in uh, in order to change the pharmaceutical sector in the country. So Israel, I think you're a very brilliant young man, and and. I wish you good luck in everything you're doing. Good luck with Zipline. Good luck with the future. 
and good luck changing things. Thank you so much. I, I very much appreciate it. It was great to have you. Thank you.